seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations. The alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for almost nine months. The prosecution and the defence have both finished outlining their cases now and the jury will shortly be asked to decide whether Lucy Letby is guilty or not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So all the evidence in the case has now been heard by the jury and we're now approaching the end of this trial. Regular listeners will know that the babies in this case are not being named for legal reasons and the identities of their families are also being protected. So we're calling them babies A to Q. This podcast will go further than the headlines and news reports but at times you might wonder why we aren't bringing you more detail. And that's because we can only tell you what the jury have heard and that's to preserve the integrity of a fair trial. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Every one of these babies is someone's son or daughter. And the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. In this episode, we'll hear Prosecutor Nick Johnson Casey describe how the timings of some of the alleged attacks were strikingly similar. We'll also explain that Lucy Letby had training on the dangers of air embolus days before she allegedly started attacking babies. We'll also reveal how she allegedly used chance opportunities of babies being alone to attack them. And we'll bring you the end of Mr Johnson's speech, 
when he told the jury that the seven babies who died in this case would have been well enough to go home had they not been attacked. Welcome to episode 43, No Innocent Coincidences. So Liz, in our special episode on Friday, the prosecutor Nick Johnson Casey had begun summarising his case against Lucy Letby in his closing speech to the jury. Now he spent two days drawing together the different strands of the case to help the jury understand what he called the patterns or connections between the babies who were allegedly killed or harmed. And he told them these connections were significant. And over the final couple of days, he continued this theme explaining to the jury what he called the power of the circumstantial evidence in this case, and he listed a number of key similarities that he said linked Lucy Letby's alleged victims and her alleged crimes. These included babies developing unusual flitting or moving rashes when they collapsed or shortly before they died. Babies who were allegedly attacked on significant milestones in their lives. Or were found to have blood in their throats. Babies who were heard screaming uncharacteristically and in distress. Or who collapsed when the nurse looking after them was out of the room or on a break. Or when their parents had temporarily left their cotsides. Babies who made miraculous recoveries after being resuscitated or moved to different hospitals. And at least three of the cases were similar, Mr Johnson said, because Lucy Letby was excited and behaved inappropriately after a child died. So what we're going to do is have a look at each of these similarities in turn and explain why Mr Johnson says they're so important. And we're going to begin with baby A. He was the first alleged victim of Lucy Letby. And that's because Mr Johnson said his case was significant because not long before his death, in fact, just a couple of weeks before he was allegedly murdered, Lucy Letby had completed a training course at work which highlighted the dangers of air embolus. And don't forget, in this case, an air embolus, and by that we mean an injection of air into the bloodstream, is so significant because it's how the prosecution say at least eight of the alleged victims in this case died or harmed. Two weeks before the death of baby A, Lucy Letby completed a course relating to intravenous lines, and on the course, the dangers of air embolus were mentioned. Is that just a coincidence? Or is that what gave her the idea? We will never know. We say Lucy Letby killed baby A with an injection of air into the bloodstream. When he collapsed, she was standing over him. She tried the same thing with his sister the following night, but miraculously, she survived. Mr Johnson said a hallmark of air embolus was an unusual rash. That was evident, he said, in the cases of baby A, baby D, baby E, baby I and baby O. They all died. But it was also a feature, he said, in the case of baby B, baby M and baby J. All children who needed CPR for prolonged periods, but miraculously, they survived. These rashes were variously described by doctors and nurses as a strange purpley red discoloration, mottling or blotchiness on the skin of the babies. Many of the doctors and nurses working at the Countess said they'd never seen such rashes before in their careers or since. In the case of Baby D, who was the only full-term baby involved in the case, Mr Johnson said doctors on duty when she died in June 2015 described in very similar detail a strange rash on her tummy, 
that was virtually identical to a rash different doctors described almost a year later on the triplet baby O. So here, a year and a day apart, we have very, very similar descriptions being given by different consultants and senior house officers relating to different children, both who suffered unexpected and perplexing collapse at the hand of Lucy Letby. Mr Johnson then said that the alleged attack on baby D highlighted another similarity in the case, and he said she was one of five babies who were allegedly attacked on significant milestones in their lives. Baby D died on Father's Day in June 2015, and Lucy Letby claimed she didn't remember baby D when she was interviewed by the police. But Mr Johnson pointed out that following her death, Lucy Letby sent a colleague a text saying, Parents distraught. Dad screaming. Baby G, the most premature baby in the case, was also allegedly overfed milk on her hundredth day of life. In the context of a neonatal unit, it's a very significant milestone. The banner was up and the cake had been baked. As a result of an incident that morning, baby G sustained a severe brain injury, which has left her severely disabled and wholly dependent on her parents. She was also allegedly attacked again on her due date. That's the date she should have been born had she not come early. Other children were also attacked on the day they were due to receive their three-month immunisations or on the day their parents were supposed to be taking them home. And baby G was also one of five babies whose cases were linked, Mr Johnson said, by the presence of blood in her throat. Doctors spotted the blood after the children collapsed, he said when they tried to put breathing tubes in so they could go on a ventilator. Mr Johnson reminded the jury that prosecution experts had suggested to them that Lucy Letby had somehow attacked these children with a stiff piece of tubing or medical equipment, causing them to bleed. The most extreme example of this was the alleged attack on Baby N, he said. Baby N was the baby with haemophilia who Lucy Letby is accused of attempting to murder three times on two separate shifts a fortnight apart including on the day he was due to go home. The swelling in baby N's throat was so severe, Mr Johnson reminded the jury, that a specialist team from Alder Hay Children's Hospital in Liverpool had to be called over to try to intubate him. Lucy Letby denies harming baby N and claimed she didn't see any blood in his mouth until much later. This, Mr Johnson said, contradicted the evidence from Dr A, who said he saw blood in baby N's mouth when he first tried to intubate him, just after 8am shortly after Lucy Letby came on her shift. Her version also contradicts Facebook messages that she was sending to Dr A at around 11.30am that day when she herself told him that she'd seen small amounts of blood in his mouth and nasal feeding tube, the court heard. Unexplained blood or swelling in the throat of a child is another common feature of many of these cases, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Remember baby C? Baby E? Baby G and Baby H. These are not innocent coincidences. This is the power of coincidence, of circumstantial evidence. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise. 
the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Another key similarity Mr. Johnson wanted the jury to consider was that several of the babies had been heard screaming at around the same time that they collapsed. Baby N, baby D, baby E and baby I were all linked by this similarity, Mr Johnson said. Dr Jennifer Lochnane was the registrar on duty on the night that baby N was allegedly attacked and Mr Johnson reminded the court how she appeared taken aback and shocked that she'd used the word screaming in her notes when she gave evidence to the jury in person earlier in the trial. He also asked the jury to remember that prosecution expert Dr Sandy Bowen had concluded that when baby N collapsed, it must have been from some inflicted, painful stimulus. And he told them it was similar to what happened to baby O a couple of weeks later. You know that's precisely what was inflicted on baby O 20 days later when he sustained that dreadful liver injury. That was inflicted by Lucy Letby. This event cannot be explained as some naturally occurring event. The unusual characteristic of screaming, the coincidence of the cases of baby D, baby E and baby I marks out this event as an attack by Lucy Letby. Mr Johnson then described Lucy Letby as an opportunist. He said she targeted babies when they were alone, when nurses caring for them were on their breaks or helping to give medicine to other children, or when their parents had left their cot sides to rest, to eat or to look after their other children. He said baby N was one of eight children in the case who were allegedly attacked when the nurse assigned to look after him had nipped away from his cot side temporarily. He then said one of the three alleged attacks on baby I also took place when a similar opportunity arose. She was a premature baby girl who Lucy Letby allegedly tried to kill three times before succeeding on the fourth attempt in October 2015. The second time she was allegedly attacked was in the early hours of October the 13th, when her designated nurse, Ashley Hudson, had nipped to a different nursery to help a colleague. When she came back, baby I was very poorly. And Mr Johnson described this as the seeing in the dark event. The next thing she remembered was the appearance of Lucy Letby in the doorway and Lucy Letby pointing out that baby I looked pale. Lucy Letby was about five or six feet from the cot at the time. Nurse Hudson switched on the light, pulled back the canopy and realised immediately that baby I was in a very poor condition. She described her as being incredibly pale, almost white. She was floppy and gasping dying breaths. Nurse Hudson told the jury that Lucy Letby could not have seen baby I from where she was standing in the doorway and you might remember that a picture of her cot and the lighting in Nursery 2 was reconstructed by the police and shown to them. Mr Johnson reminded them that when he asked Lucy Letby about this, she insisted she had more experience than Nurse Hudson. She'd said, I knew what I was looking for, 
before quickly correcting herself by adding at. Lucy Letby then appeared flustered and asked the judge for a break, saying she was finding it hard to concentrate on all the dates. But Mr Johnson questioned the credibility of her answer and whether, in fact, the pressure of giving evidence had finally got to her. Dates had nothing to do with what was being asked about here, did it, ladies and gentlemen? You saw Lucy Letby give that evidence. You heard what she said. Did she make an innocent mistake or did something else slip out under the pressure of the witness box? We say that on that night, the reason she knew Baby Eye was in extremis was because she had caused the problem. So he then explained that while some of the babies had been allegedly attacked when their nurses had left their bedsides, seven of the babies collapsed after their parents left their bedsides. And he said Baby Eye was one example of this. He said by the time of the first alleged attack on Baby Eye, she'd been at the Countess for several weeks and nurses knew that it was her mother's routine to drop her older children at school in the morning, spend the day with her daughter at the hospital, then leave around 3pm to do the afternoon school run. Her father would then take over at Baby Eye's cotside after he finished work at around 5.30pm, Mr Johnson said. But this routine gave Lucy Letby the perfect opportunity to strike and try to kill Baby Eye for the first time on September the 30th, 2015, Mr Johnson said. From the moment Baby Eye's mother left to pick the kids up from school, she had a window of opportunity until her father arrived. This is another case of a child suffering a life-threatening collapse just after a parent had left. What are the chances of this happening at precisely that time? He also pointed to Baby N's case again and reminded the jury that it was when his parents nipped away from the neonatal unit to get some food that he was allegedly attacked in their absence in June 2016. For Baby B, Mr Johnson said her parents were so distraught by the death of her twin brother on June 8th, 2015 that they effectively stood guard at her cotside, even enlisting the help of her grandparents. But they went to get some rest at 8 o'clock and it's alleged Lucy Letby took the opportunity to try to kill her a few hours later. Similarly, in other cases, including the triplets Baby O and Baby P, Baby H and Baby M, their parents had not long left their cotsides when they were allegedly attacked and fell dangerously ill soon afterwards. So Liz, the other similarity Mr Johnson wanted the jury to know about was the babies who collapsed and almost died before making a miraculous recovery and he highlighted baby M's case as one of these. He said this was a connection between at least eight of the babies, including four who survived initial attacks by Lucy Letby but later sadly died by what he called her determined hand. It's the prosecution case that this phenomenon, babies making rapid recoveries shortly after being close to death, is also a feature of air embolus. In Baby M's case, Mr Johnson reminded the jury, doctors were about to stop their resuscitation efforts after fighting to save him for half an hour when his circulation suddenly and inexplicably returned and he was brought back to life. Dr Jayaram had a difficult conversation with his parents before he suddenly recovered. A miraculous recovery. CPR was stopped and Dr Jairam said, I wasn't sure what we had done to suddenly make him better. He couldn't explain what had caused the collapse and why baby M suddenly got better. At least four of the children also made similar rapid recoveries 
after they were moved out of the Countess to more specialist hospitals, Mr Johnson said. Finally, Mr Johnson reminded the jury of some of what he called Lucy Letby's bizarre and inappropriate behaviour following the deaths of three of the babies in the case, Baby C, Baby I and the triplet Baby P. In Baby P's case, the jury were told, Lucy Letby appeared animated and excited after his death when she asked his parents if they wanted her to make a memory box for their son, like she'd done the day before for his brother, Baby O, who she's also accused of murdering. In Baby I's case, her mother described Lucy Letby smiling when she interrupted her and her husband bathing their daughter who had just died. She also sent them a condolence card on the day of her funeral and took a picture of it while she was on duty in the unit. The photograph of the card was still on her phone more than two and a half years later when she was arrested by the police, Mr Johnson said. Lucy Letby's behaviour in the aftermath of Baby I's death was bizarre and inappropriate. She was excited because she'd killed yet another child. She revelled in what she had done and she enjoyed the anguish and distress she had caused. Her voyeuristic tendencies drove her to look up her mum on the internet. She inflicted pain on Baby Eye on more than one occasion and ultimately succeeded in killing her. Having killed her, she wrote that condolence card and took a photograph of it. It was still on her phone when it was seized by police. In Baby C's case, it's alleged, Lucy Letby repeatedly interrupted his parents by going in and out of the family room on the unit for no reason when they were cradling their dying son. They were shocked, his father told the jury, when she wheeled in a cold cot and allegedly told them, You've said your goodbyes. Do you want to put him in here? Mr Johnson asked the jury, What was the attraction of that room at that time for Lucy Letby? If this was an isolated occasion, you might not read too much into it. But when you hear similar occurrences happening at different times involving different people, saying in effect the same sort of thing, it is not innocent coincidence. So late on Thursday afternoon, Mr Johnson finished his speech by summing up in just a couple of simple sentences the prosecution case. He told the jury it was now up to them to decide if they were right. We say that if Lucy Letby had not sabotaged them, Baby A, Baby C, Baby D, Baby E, Baby I, Baby O and Baby P would have all gone home. But Lucy Letby murdered them and she tried to murder Baby B, Baby F, Baby G, Baby H, Baby J, Baby K, Baby L, Baby M, Baby N and Baby Q. That's our case and you will let us know if we are right. So that's it for episode 43. We'll be back next week to bring you the closing speech of Lucy Letby's barrister, Ben Myers Casey. I'll be in court as usual, and you can read my reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Liz Hull. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, at Lucy Letby Trial, or you can follow me, at Radio Caroline, or you can send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. See you then. 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.